Well, good morning, Park Community Church. Uh, as Rafe introduced me, I'm Nate Kachark. I'm one of the elders here at the South Loop location, and it's a privilege to be with you this morning. Um, first, I want to dismiss all the kids to the Loop. I see some of them are already heading out, but you can head on out uh, to your, meet your teachers in the back. Thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning. Uh, I want to put up a picture of my family just to introduce ourselves a little bit more. Um, my wife, Lindsay, uh, has been at Park for 10 years almost. I don't even know where you are. Um, but she's been around a Park for a while. I've been here at Park for about four years. And our daughter, Eloise, is seven months old. Um, and I can tell you uh, just how much joy she is bringing to our family and to our lives and how much she is teaching us about God and about ourselves. And uh, we are just excited just to see God continue to work in and through her, even at such a young age. Um, today, we're going to be looking at the story of Samson. And Samson is a very complex man. He's a very flawed man. Just like many of the other judges we've been looking at this summer, there's just a lot going on. And so we're not going to get to everything in Samson's life. That's four chapters in the book of Judges. You know, I could probably just read through all four chapters and not say anything else, and that'd be my whole sermon. But we're not going to do that. We'll look at a few short stories. And so I just encourage you guys, read the story of Samson. It's an amazing story. They just made a movie about it. Um, I'd encourage you to read the story before go see the movie, but uh, definitely check it out. But we'll be looking at chapters 14 and 15 in the book of Judges, starting on page 214 of the House Bible. So if you have a House Bible or if you need one, uh, Chris is going to come down uh, with a stack of them. So you can raise your hand and Chris will get you one of the House Bibles, but page 214. And let me pray as you guys are looking that up. Father God, we just thank you just for your word that is living and active. God, would you speak to us this morning? Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you soften our hearts? God, would, your, would the words that I say be your words, not mine? God, would you humble us and remind us that it's only because of grace that we're here? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So like I said, each judge that we've looked at this summer has been a little different, and Samson is very unique. That he's the only judge that was set apart to be a judge from birth, actually from before birth. So chapter 13, the whole chapter is devoted to this angel appears to Samson's parents to tell them about their son that they're going to have. And they had never had a son before. And so in chapter 13, verse 5, it says, For behold, you, Samson's parents, shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to serve Israel from the Philistines, save Israel from the Philistines. And so there's, you know, there's this label that immediately gets put on Samson as a Nazarite. And so what is that? So Nazarite comes from Numbers chapter 6. It's a person that is consecrated, devoted, makes a vow before God in service of him. And the vow became, uh, pertains to three parts. To abstain from alcohol, or strong drink as it's worded. To not cut their hair during their time of being set apart. And to avoid defilement from dead bodies or corpses. And it's amazing that even from birth that they would commit somebody in this way to say, I'm going to set aside my own priorities, my own preferences, my own desires to serve God. It's a beautiful picture of what God, what, <laughs> what we should be doing in our lives as followers of Christ, to lay aside our own priorities and comforts for the sake of God. There's also interesting about something from, David, or from Samson's calling in chapter 13, that he was just called just to begin to save Israel from the Philistines, 
meaning he wasn't going to see it finished. It wasn't going to be finished until the time of David, which doesn't come for many, many years. And so church, the reality is that God calls us to things that we may not see finished. You know, you might be seeking to have a conversation with a coworker or friend or wanting to do all these other things that you believe that God is calling you to, but you might be struggling because you're not seeing the results that you thought you were supposed to. But that's just maybe what God is calling you to. He may not call you to see it finished. You know, when I started serving as an elder, I was so excited for God is leading us as a church. But I know that it doesn't end with me. I know that I will probably stop being an elder long before the church reaches where we're going. And that's just part of the way that God works. Now, in chapter 14, we're going to dig in. We're going to see a couple of unique stories that Samson has. And these stories, on the surface, they seem so unrelatable. He comes face to face with a lion. He defeats a thousand men with the bone of a, from a donkey. Like, when are we ever going to experience that? But when we dig deeper, when we really see Samson's character and ways that God's at work, we see that it's highly relatable for us today. So let me jump in, 14, verses 1 through 4. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. And so according to verse 4, Samson was pursuing God's plan. You know, God was looking to deliver the people of Israel from the hand of the Philistines. But he was way far off. The method that he was using was not what God wanted. And we see this over and over again in Samson's life that even though externally he was consecrated, he was committed to God, he hadn't cut his hair, so everybody knew the vow that he had made. But inside, he was far from God. He lacked a communion with God, a a devotion to God. Externally, the devotion was there, but internally it wasn't. How do we know this, just from these four verses? Well, we see just a number of ways that he breaks God's commands, that he sins, even in these four verses. You know, he wants a Philistine wife. Israel was called to be set apart, to not marry outside of their own country. He was disrespectful for his parents. It was one of the the Ten Commandments, to honor thy father and mother. He lusts after this woman. He objectifies her just by looking at her. He hasn't even talked to her. He knows nothing about her. And he says, I want her. He objectifies her. Later, he calls her a cow. Like, this is not good. This is not what God wants. But God's plan to work in our lives is not dependent on our faithfulness, but on his faithfulness to us. You know, for me, I'm a huge nerd. I love Star Wars. And so every sermon inevitably ends up with a Star Wars illustration or example. And so for me, I look at Samson and I see Anakin Skywalker. If you don't know who Anakin Skywalker is, he becomes Darth Vader 
the great villain of the original movies. But in one of the prequels, before he becomes Darth Vader, he's still good, he's still wrestling through things. He has a wife who's pregnant, uh, highly relatable for me and for some of us in this room, but his wife is going to die. There's nothing he can do to save her. There's nothing he won't do to save her. And so his last remaining hope is a promise from the evil soon-to-be emperor, uh, the Sith Lord, uh, that, you know, together that they could save his wife. And so his desire, Anakin's desire is good. He desires to save his wife, but the methods that he pursues leads him to evil, leads him to destruction. He loses his limbs, actually. (laughs) And so, church, it's not just, you know, the end doesn't justify the means for us. To follow Christ means to follow him in everything. So he goes, tells his parents that he wants this woman, and then he comes back to finally to talk to the woman in verse 5. Verse 5 through 7 says, Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards at Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hands, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. When he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in his Samson's eyes. So here we see Samson's coming face to face with the lion. And we see this incredible demonstration of his strength, of God working through him and empowering him with his great strength. But he never experienced that before. And so he must have been terrified. You know, think about it. Being played, I don't, maybe some of you have experienced what this is like, but I haven't. And if you have, I would love to hear about it. But you're standing in a field and a lion is roaring and charging at you. You have nothing in your hands. There's no walls, there's no fences. You're dead. You're done. It's over. Unless God shows up. I would be terrified. So for us, what are the circumstances that are terrifying us this morning? What are the lions in our lives that God might be asking us to face, but we have no idea how we're going to do it? It might be a significant conversation with a coworker. It might be going talk to Ito and volunteering with GRIP. Like, you may have no idea how you could possibly relate to these kids, but you have no idea how God can work through you. And we, so we see this demonstration of how God wants to use Samson. And for me, you know, I, I, the first time I ever shared my faith and talked about it with Jesus with somebody, I was terrified. I was stumbling over words. I, you know... Probably at some point I just blurted out, Jesus, and hoped he got it, you know. And at the end of it, I invited him to our church. And I was like, no way he's going to come. There's no way. I didn't make any sense. I didn't connect with him personally at all. Like, I don't, I would be amazed if I ever saw this guy again. But God's work was not dependent on my faithfulness or my abilities, but his faithfulness. And he showed up that Sunday. He showed up at church, and I couldn't believe it. I was like, what are you doing here? This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but it was because it's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about our abilities or our talents. Those are important. But when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we can do things that we may not think we could ever do. 
just as Samson didn't know his own strength. And I didn't expect this guy to respond the way that he did. God is at work, despite our unfaithfulness. And so he defeats the lion, and he doesn't tell his parents about it. And, it, you know, it, it seems like a humble thing. It seems like a good thing to do. But internally, there's a pride that's welling up in Samson after being used by God. And we see it come out in verses 8 and 9. So after some days, he returned to take her, this woman, who we don't even know who she is, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. Behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. And he scraped it out into his hands and went on eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. You know, I've read some commentaries about this, and they talk about how this is a beautiful picture of how God can bring something good out of difficult things. And I believe that to be true, but I don't think that this is what this passage is saying, because that interpretation of it is missing a very important detail. That in going and touching the lion, Samson was breaking his Nazarite vow. He was sinning against God. He wasn't supposed to eat that honey. And so it's not a beautiful picture of how God can bring good things, even though he does. This is a picture of Samson's unfaithfulness. He is so filled with pride, he goes out of his way to find this lion again. He gets the honey. He doesn't even care that he's breaking God's laws. And he eats it. And what's even worse is because he hasn't told his parents any of this, he gives it to them and leads them into sin. Samson is a mess. Despite being externally looking like he's devoted to God, internally he is far from God. Is that us today? We're sitting here in church. Why are you here? Are you here just because you always grew up, grew up growing to church? Are you here because you want to look good? Are you here because you've been going to church and so if you stop now, you know, what will people judge you? Why do you care about that? That's not what it's about. We're here for Jesus. And our sin grows when it's kept in secret. You know, Samson's sin, if he had just told his parents things, it would have stopped. It would have ended. He could have, part of the Nazarite vows, you could shave your head, offer a sacrifice, and start over. He would have been fine. But because he kept it secret, it continued to grow. And so, for me, my senior year of college was a, actually a rough year. I was really questioning God's goodness in my life, had a lot of doubts, had a lot of fears and anxiety about the future. Uh, and I just pulled away from God. I stopped going to church, stopped reading my Bible, I stopped praying. And I certainly wasn't telling others about it. And so it kept just getting worse and worse until I couldn't take it anymore. Uh, you know, I fell into depression. And it was by God's grace that he, he, he pulled me out of it. It wasn't because of anything I did. It was because of his faithfulness to me that I'm even here with you today. I was more concerned about looking good than actually being good. And so it's very clear just from these short stories that God's ability to work isn't about our faithfulness, but about his faithfulness. So what does that mean for us? Does it even matter what we do? Does this give us permission to just sin, to just do whatever we want, because God's going to accomplish his plans whether we follow them or not? No, church hear this from me. That is not what we're saying. 
You know, even this morning, uh, my wife Lindsay just provided a great illustration for me. And when I am focused on a task, I enter a room and I usually don't really turn on the lights. And so I was emptying out the dishwasher this morning and it was pretty dark. And she comes in, turns on the light and says, look, there's light. And that's what we do. When we ignore God's commands and are living in sin, we're, we're working in the dark. We can't fully experience everything that God has for us. We can't fully experience the joy that he has for, the abundant life that Jesus promises in John chapter 10. We're left in darkness. And in fact, worse than darkness, we are still dead. Romans chapter 6, if we can put it on the screen, 1 through 3. What shall we say then? Paul hits this on the head. Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound, that we may experience more grace? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Church, you've been given life. And so this isn't permission to just sin and do whatever you want because God is going to accomplish his will. But this gives us hope that even when we fail, even when we stumble, even when we're filled with pride or anger like Samson, that God is still able to use us, that he is still at work, Because his ability to work in us is not dependent on our faithfulness to him, but on his faithfulness to us. Thank you, Nate. You did an excellent job of going through uh, scripture today. My name is Censor Jacob. I am a partner at Park, and I've been going to Park for about seven or eight years. I lead the medical fellowship at Park called Circulation, which is a medical group that meets on a monthly basis uh, to really identify the relationship between faith and medicine. Um, A picture of my family will be up on the screen, and I'm married to Tara, who is a deacon at Park, and uh, my five-month-old son, Luke, is featured there. I'm truly honored to be able to be used by God Uh, today to share his word with the church and the body of believers. When Rafe approached me about eldership, I really felt unworthy. I felt like this was a complete mistake because I don't have any seminary training. I work as a PA in orthopedic surgery at Rush, and when I took the eldership course and the training, I was probably the only person who really didn't have any type of biblical background. I I think of my life as someone who struggles with lust, who struggles with anger, who struggles with greed and sin on a daily basis. I see myself as someone who doesn't really fit the mold of being a perfect Christian and someone who is trying to live each day to reach this plan of pleasing God and to be a great Christian, but somehow, someway, every single day, I always fall short of it, and I feel insufficient. And so how can, a, how can God use a person like me for eldership? You know, the call to eldership is the call to help pastor the church and to fulfill the qualifications of an elder in 1 Timothy 3. Scripture says that the elder should be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunk, not violent, gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, and the list goes on and on and on. And so when Rafe nominated me for eldership and asked me to give today's 
uh, second half of the sermon on Samson, I looked at Samson and I thought, man, that is one unrelatable guy. All I know about him is that he's really strong and he had long hair and that's about it. And so his, this unrelatable man with great strength had an unrelatable story to me, but then it suddenly became relatable to me and suddenly resonated with me because he was a man who struggled himself. He struggled with anger. He struggled with lust. He struggled with sin, but yet he was used by God to lead. It's clear that the story of Samson goes beyond eldership. It's actually applicable to all of us. Romans 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we are all broken. Samson's whole life demonstrated a broken man being used by God to fulfill his will. The story of this unrelatable man teaches us this theme, which will be on a slide. It's that God works, God's work in and through us is not dependent on our faithfulness to him, but his faithfulness to us. So we'll jump back into the text in Judges 14, where we see that Samson's wife was being threatened by the Philistines. This leads her to being used and then manipulating her husband, Samson. And then this stirs anger within Samson. And then in verse 19 of chapter 14, it reads, And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went to his father's house. And then the story continues in Judges 15, well, I'll, I'll pick up. So in Judges 15, we see that Samson's anger continues to govern him. We can pick up in Judges 15, verses 4 and 5. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches, and he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain as well as the olive orchards. So just when you thought that Samson could possibly be relatable, he lights torches between foxes. What are we reading? When I first read this, and I'm thinking about a guy who lit foxes, torches, and then let them go into a field to destroy someone else's grain, resources, farmland, I believe that this was not in line with today's animal cruelty beliefs. And I felt that this story just kept going back and forth, back and forth. We see this battle between Samson and the Philistines. And so, rightfully so, the Philistines have now lost all of their resources, and they seek revenge. But how do they do it? So it continues in verse 6, where it says, And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. So the Philistines respond by burning Samson's wife and his father-in-law. Can you take a moment to just think about that situation? So in retaliation, someone burns your spouse and your family. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine experiencing that, being so powerful and then being emotionally defeated to the point where the person closest to you has been burned by your enemy. When we speak of struggling with anger and we look at Samson and the Philistines, they demonstrate rage and anger in a manner that is not intelligible, or simply it's beyond our grasp. Verse 7 then continues 
And Samson says that he will avenge them. So the anger and the back and forth doesn't stop. He says, I'm going to avenge them. And then in verse 8, it says that he does so by delivering a great blow, which can be translated into a great slaughter. And then after he does this, Scripture tells us that he hides in a cliff and camps out there in, in a region called Edom. So this brings me to my first point. God completes his work and his will irrespective of our plans, our emotions, our brokenness, or our abilities. We see in the end of chapter 14 and throughout 15 that Samson goes after the Philistines. His wife was manipulated, so he killed 30 of their men. Then he took 300 foxes, lit them up, and destroyed the resources of the Philistines. And then the Philistines retaliate by burning his wife and his father-in-law. And through these instances, Samson is seeking vengeance. It appears that he's fulfilling his plans for personal vengeance. But the irony is that God is actually using him to defeat the enemies of Israel. See, the world will tell us that God does not work. He cannot use us. He is not supreme, and he won't use you for his will now or ever. In the story of Samson, you're seeing a powerful man who is filled with anger, who is seeking to fulfill his own will, but yet he is used by God for a greater purpose. You might be sitting here today thinking, I am too broken to be used by God. My life is messy. But the truth is, is that God is greater than your brokenness. God's work in and through us, again, is not dependent on our faithfulness to him, but his faithfulness to us. So the story continues in verses 9 to 13, in which we see the Philistines now encamp in Judah, and they encamp and raid an area called Lehi. Now, Lehi was this area that was occupied by a people group that the Bible refers to as the men of Judah. It's important to understand that the men of Judah were under the rule of the Philistines and wanted to obey the Philistines. So the Philistines asked the men of Judah to go and get Samson and bring him back to them. So the men of Judah obey, and they take 3,000 of their own men to go and get Samson. And so they tell Samson, hey, we need to take you back to the Philistines. And Samson says, well, if you're going to take me, we have to have an agreement that you won't kill me. And so Samson says, fine. The men of Judah agree, and they end up agreeing and bind Samson up and bring him to the Philistines. So we'll pick up in Judges 15, verse 14. So at this point, Samson's bound, and he's being brought from Lehi to the Philistines, and the Philistines are seeing him come through. So verse 14, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. Now this is the part that everyone knows in the story in verse 15. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it. And with it, he struck a thousand men. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, have I struck down a thousand men. Verse 17, as soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand. Now see, this is a victory not only for Samson, but for the people of Israel as they have defeated their enemy. This brings me to the second point. 
God is alive and at work within us. The world will tell us that God is dead, that God is not working, and that we shouldn't believe he is, but he is alive. Our God is alive. And throughout the text, we see reference to the Spirit of God rushing onto someone. In the Old Testament, this was a common theme. The Spirit of God would rush onto someone. In the New Testament, we see this change. Scripture over and over again tells us that the Holy Spirit is within us when you put your faith in Christ. 2 Timothy 1 verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Romans 8 verse 9, the Spirit of God dwells in you. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that, God, the, that God's Spirit dwells in you? God empowers and sustains us. Medically speaking, if you just physically exerted yourself to kill a thousand men with the jaw of a donkey bone without water, your chances of surviving that are physically next to nothing. And in Judges 15, verse 18, 19, we read, And he was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord, and it continues to say that God split open a hollow place, and water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. God empowers and sustains us. God not only empowered Samson by his spirit, but he also physically sustained him with water to accomplish God's purpose as a judge. And then the rest of the text goes on describing Samson's reign as a judge for 20 years. I knew a man who was born in India, and at a young age, his life was converted by missionaries. And then in his 30s, he came to America. That was in the 1980s. And when he came to America, he fell to sin. He fell to the cultural pressures of alcoholism. He became a drunk, and he went further and further away from the word, further and further away from Christ. And he abused his wife emotionally. He beat her physically, and he also had three children, two at that time. It got to a point where he got so far away from God that he wanted to kill himself. He fell into this cycle of depression, and one night... His kids were asleep, his wife was at work, and he was drinking and got to a point of brokenness that he thought, this is it, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to end my life, there will be no more. And this was a man who once knew God. He called his pastor, and his pastor tells him, hey, you can't do this, you need to open up scripture, and you need to pray, you need to read the word of God. He ended up opening the Bible, and it opened up to Isaiah 44, verse 1 to 4. Now, this man's name was Jacob. And when you look at Isaiah 44, verse 1 to 4, when he opened it up, he read this. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant. So now he's thinking that God is actually talking to him. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour water on thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. 
They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. After Jacob, this man, read that passage, his life turned around. He recommitted his life to God, and he went sober from the early 1980s until his death on July 9th of 2016. After that point in the early 1980s, his life always pointed towards Christ. He raised three kids, teaching them about God and about God's will and plan. He had his kids sing, pray, and read scripture every single night. His life of brokenness became a life of glory for God. There should be a tombstone that pops up here. This man was my dad. And this is his tombstone. And on the back of the tombstone is the scripture of Isaiah 44, verse 1 to 4. If God didn't work in this broken man, I wouldn't be standing here today sharing the word of God with you. This man was my father who passed two years ago. But now he lives in the presence of the Lord. We as human beings cannot look for man to be our hero, but only for God. I'm going to close with this, my third point. Man is not capable of being our hero. Man is not capable of being our savior. Jesus Christ is our hero, and he is our savior. God sent his son who walked among sinners, and ultimately he was hung on a cross. He was crucified. Nails were driven into his hands to fulfill his will to save his people from the ultimate death. You see, God is present. God is real. God blesses. God performs miracles. The biggest of which is him coming to this world in human form, being crucified, conquering death three days later for us so that we may have eternal life with him. The God of Samson's time is the same God that transformed my father in the 1980s. It's the same God that you and I worship today. It's the same God that was at work then, is at work now, and will forever reign. Despite our flaws, despite our failures, despite our brokenness, his love is sustainable, and life with him is eternal. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you so much, Lord. I thank you so much for allowing us to dive into the life of Samson, God. We are all broken, Lord, but yet you are able to use us for your glory and your purpose and your will, God. I ask that you allow us to take that step, God, to take that step in faith, Lord, and to put our faith in you so that your spirit would dwell within us and that we may be a light that shines for you and that our lives would reflect that, Lord. I ask that you help us to focus on you, God, that you would help us to just turn away from our life of sin and brokenness and desire to have this relationship with you and to have eternal life with you, God. I ask that you would allow us to see how you could use us for the greater purpose and the greater good and for us to understand that life is built 
around your faithfulness to us, Lord. I thank you for all that you do and continue to do. In your name I pray.